0: Let's thank God. Dear Lord God, we are grateful for uh, the mercies we enjoy, the world in which we live. We as Americans, especially, Lord, and the rights that we have been given by our government, we'd ask that you would uh, preserve it from evil men, and we'd ask that you would keep us uh, benefiting and using it to the spread of your kingdom. Thank you for this morning. In your son's name, amen. Okay, as you can tell, it says right at the top of the page, Psalm 111. <laughs> and that is a short psalm, and that's why the type is really big. A short psalm and a uh, and few verses. Um, I've been in this psalm before. I think I preached on it twice, 18 years ago. And it seemed like just yesterday, in terms of... I think I made a mistake and preached on it too soon. I preached on it in 2001 or something like that. And then the very next year, which I just don't do. So maybe I just stayed away from this for a lifetime. Some of you weren't alive when last I was in Psalm 111. It's a tidy positive little psalm uh, which if you're not thinking about it um, thinking about it aggressively it could just swing by your eyes with, with just kind of the oh that was nice religious words there thank you uh, David, if it was David who wrote this one I mean it starts out with praise the Lord You've seen that before in a few psalms? We were just, like I said, we just finished reading uh, War in Heaven, and the archdeacon, the hero of the book, is always running around his church or churchyard, humming and singing little songs out of the psalms, uh, and his mercies endure forever. And he keeps saying that, you know, and the bad guys who are worshipping Satan can't understand. He must be light in the head. They think he's out of his mind because he's always thinking phrases like you get in the Psalms. His steadfast love endureth forever. And sometimes we need to be reminded by a character like that that there's a possibility of living as if the admonition or the claim were not just the sound of religious words falling like honey on your receptive ears because it makes you just like when people think that if I pray, I should pray in King James English. You know, they, they, they like those sounds. They like a verse that sounds like it's out of the King James Version because that touches their poetic sense, it touches their cultural historic sense. But you'd like to be reminded that even when you're stepping into a generic psalm that says generically good things, and it starts out with praise the Lord, are we already disobedient? You know, is, I mean, in this day and age, when every used to be, you would argue over the gifts of the Spirit. Then you'd argue over the role of women in the churches. Then you argue over end times. Then you'd argue over um, mechanism of the gospel, and then you'd argue. You know, you just there, there are trends in argument, and it came on that at some point a trend hit, it's sort of been percolating for a number of years, about what they call worship. We think, um, that last song song we sang, uh, that John W. Peterson one, number seven, um, it talked about praise. Let me see. I noticed it as it was going by. Uh, Praise our God. See, it starts the same way all ye servants, ye that fear him swan great with sacrifices of worship and his glorious presence. Wait. Um, It's a matter of praise songs, say praise the Lord a lot. And sometimes we get used to saying praise the Lord a lot. We think saying praise the Lord is not an imperative or a suggestion to you, but a then it's praising the Lord. If I say praise the Lord, that's not praising the Lord. Unless I'm pointing to something for which I say praise the Lord. Say someone says, so and so just became a Christian, I say praise the Lord. I'm not. The praise is about that person being converted. The Gentiles were let through, uh, were crushed in the Red Sea and the Jews were let through. Oh, praise the Lord. Well, it's that Pharaoh and his armies were destroyed. We have to know that praise is not saying praise repeatedly. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. Now, when we give thanks, what what just came to your mind when I said, um, Pastor, would you give thanks? What does that sound like? You're over at somebody's house. You're the vicar. And usually the mom, because she's in charge of the house. and she's running home, and she says, Vicar, would you say grace? Would you thank the Lord? Would you give thanks? Whatever the phrasing is, we know what giving thanks is. Dear Lord, thanks for the food. Amen. Some of you may even thank the Lord in restaurants for your food, because you think it's important to give thanks. But I don't think that when we say praise the Lord, we say I will give thanks to the Lord, those tiny little portions of emotional songs saying praise the Lord a lot, or you giving thanks for the food. Have you ever stopped in your life when something major good happened, and all the Christians present said, said let's, let's give thanks to the Lord for that. We have a space for it in front of a meal, even in a public place, which I worry about because of street corners and all. But we have a place for that. We have a place for what praises me. I don't have to think a thing to think I went to a praise service. I don't, have to, I don't have to know a thing about my God. I think I am praising him. And I think if I am faithful enough to pray in a restaurant, I am the most thankful of all men. In reality, many things go by without giving God thanks. Because it does say, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. And not only that, but it says, in the company of the upright. I just, we're not going to get very far in this psalm. We're, we're going to be crucified in our... Mismanagement of what our lives are supposed to be within the first verse. Because we don't praise our God for what he has done. We don't give thanks to him actually when things worth thanking him for come across our plate. We don't do it with our whole heart because if we had a whole heart for recognizing God's provision, we would be stopping to thank him. And we, we're not seeking out others of like mind and circumstance in the company of the upright. And a lot of you go to church. Some of you go to church here. Did you stop and go, you know, I'm there because the other uh, upright people are there. Not because I agree with heaven. Heaven's no. But because other believers who believe and who are upright and some of you think, well, as long as they're not uptight, I'm, I'm. Well, we have too much willingness to avoid the uptight and not enough interest in finding the upright. We sometimes confuse the two. We think that, wow, well, if anybody, if, if any church is really about its holiness, there's going to be no fun parties there. It's going to be, you know, I don't know what you picture thin black tie, somber. <clears throat> no vaping. You know how it is. This church stands against vaping because it's just not cool. Okay? Somebody left a vape on my back porch the other night. I think it had almost exploded or something. I don't know what they do. You have a little stick of dynamite you put in your mouth and perf on it. But it was buried in a snow bank. To cool off, I guess. It has nothing to do with the sermon. I don't care about vaping. Are we seeking the company of the opera upright in the congregation? Because I want to give thanks to God with people who understand what it is to thank God. Now, who are the... What's, what, what prompts this? Verse 2. Great are the works of the Lord studied by all who have pleasure in them. We're not going to survive this psalm, ladies and gentlemen. Because it goes without, almost goes without saying, great are the works of the Lord. We're running around. I think somebody mapped the universe the other day, because that's what some men do. And they came up with a total of galaxies that was some astronomical, pun intended, astronomical number of galaxies, which are all, each and every one of them, astronomical numbers of stars. Our God made it all, and our God made that macrocosm all the way down to this microcosm of this moment in North Idaho where your life is filled with all sorts of interesting little tidbits and that hangnail that's bothering you through the whole service. All of these things. Now, the admonition in the verse is the rec- about, about the recognition of the greatness of, of God's doing, doings in this world is that they give pleasure to certain people. And those people are, you might say, evidenced by those who go back to find out more about them. They examine them. Because you were pleased, you want to know, I mean, say you're at Bootser's, the local meat market for the Christians, and you see a new face, a new gal, a new someone untagged, uncourted, un... and what do you, I mean, she pleases you in your majesty. She pleases you. And what you want in that being pleased is her phone number, or more specifically, her father's phone number. You want to know stuff. You study those things. You research those things. The internet's good for this. Your Facebook stalk. You start to find out who they hang with, where they go, because you were pleased. Have you ever been to a restaurant and went home and said, I've got to figure out how to make that? What did they do we still at the big house we have a good black pepper sauce it is not as good as the onions in spokane because when we went to the onion they wouldn't tell us so we had to sit there and taste it and guess maybe horseradish you study it leslie and i cooked dinner for ourselves last night and we were looking things up and running around doing things Exper- we don't get to experiment with food that much that's what you do when you're pleased with something you want to know who played bass on that album do you know what day is today? the 24th? anybody know? says here in my sermon notes. 24th two days ago Mm. We had three days ago. Three days ago, I was informed by my Facebook feed that Martin Barre was playing in Spokane at the Bing Cosby. Martin Barre is the guitarist for Jeff Rotel. One day notification. I couldn't go. Now, why do I know Martin Barre's name? because I listened to a lot of Tull growing up it pleased me and when the guitar solos came on I wanted to know that guitarist's name I saw Tull play in 78 before we were married I took my sister because my girlfriend wasn't in town then 77 Okay, okay he was good then I guess he's still good You study these things. You can check yourself now. You can't just go, see, I said praise the Lord a lot at the beginning of my church service. I go to a church service. Isn't that getting together with the upright? You have no concern whether the people in the room are upright. You don't give thanks when many things worthy of thanks cross your path. You just give thanks in those performance moments, the slots allotted to God. And you claim to have great pleasure in the things that God has done, but you don't evidence it with any study. This is a. He um, said, but I really do. I, I, I love Je- Evan, you can't say I don't love Jesus. Don't you think? If you loved her, you would send her a valentine? Yes. If you, if you cared, would you know about anything else? I mean, is, is God the only one quantity you would not care about if you took pleasure in him? Then it says, verse 3, full of honor and majesty is his work. This is just stuff that's in front of your eyes. You get up in the morning, you swing your legs off the side of your bed, and I uh, had a little bit of a different experience this morning as I swung my legs. The, the arm went off, Leslie's arm went out, <coughs> and it woke me from my slumbers, swung my feet out of bed, opened my eyes, and I didn't open my eyes. I tried to open my eyes, but they wouldn't open. I was paralyzed. Some kind of something, you know, that crud had sealed my eyes shut. So I'm feeling my way to the bathroom, trusting that I was not blind for this Sunday. Something I said in the library last night that God said, I'm done with him. He's gonna act blind, I'm gonna make him blind. So I managed to get a a small trowel and get the the, the crud gone. you, You swing your legs out of your bed every morning and you look at the same world, amazing from top to bottom. Amazing from front to back. Amazing in every axis you can think of it in, in terms of history, time. Going back 6,000 years to the Lord's creation. Honor and majesty, and we stop right there and say, I don't even know what honor is, Evan. We, don't, we live in an egalitarian world that doesn't have any hierarchies. We take a certain pride in ourselves because we're Americans. We don't have an aristocracy, so you know squat about honor. And when you tell a judge, yes, your honor, and you're going, is that just something you say around here? Do you ever look at your husband and say, yes, my lord? As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him lord, Hmm. let alone to God honor and majesty her majesty how quaint they call Elizabeth II her majesty what makes majest? what's the word rooted in anybody know is that a French majest? no you know French Kenny I don't know I'd like some majesty God would like some majesty attributed to him, some honor to his work, and his righteousness endures forever. This is about your frame. If we can't get past these notions like uh, my thanksgiving to him is a categorical operative moment, you, you, you leave a crumb for God. I said thanks in a restaurant no thanks elsewhere, thanks in a restaurant. If I don't have the ability, because I'm an American, you had better stop thinking like an American. Because your God is full of honor and majesty. His work is full of it, re- revealing that to you. Whatever parts of... You know, America is the greatest country in the world. Probably the greatest country in history. It's given us free rights, freedom of religion. Here we are, gathered together in a you know, end of the earth, small church. Very grateful for it, but it also may have tripped us up in some things that we can't speak with deference. And our inability to bow means that we have the side of us that needs to be ruled by someone else. All of those relationships are going to be challenged. Eventually our children are going to think, I don't who put these people in charge? Ever heard of children's rights? Now where they're trying to treat children as agents or separate agents of the state? That the state can assign them freedoms that your parents said, nope. How many, how many relationships have you been unable to speak of in this way, because we just don't know how to bow? But the problem is, without kneeling, without bowing our heads, our knees, our courtesy, oh, that's what CS. Lewisman introduced that to me years ago where he speaks you know, women know of the curtsy... which is the courtesy okay It's the courtesy given and he would always put it as courtesy in his book instead of curtsy. Do you have the ability? Because this is what God's greatness and his majesty and his honor places him, the place he is in, gives him the position of judge of the earth. And you, when you bow I always uh, liked when I was studying East Asian history my instructor said uh, the kowtow which we we talk about kowtowing to someone which was the nine obeisances and the twelve prostrations which is when you entered the throne room in Peking because I'm old school Peking, not Beijing You virtually crawled to the dais. I mean, you were bowing, the nine obeisances, and then 12 prostrations. That's how you. You'd be thankful that your husband doesn't expect that kind of honorific. Yes, my lord, and start bowing all the way to the bedside. Or your parents, or your rulers. But do you even know what it is? I mean, the thing is, you say, Evan, I I don't like the world you live in. I don't like that. Well, Leslie doesn't do that. Everyone knows Leslie. The question is, do you have categories for these things? For his righteousness endures forever. Do I have the right concept? Is it just God's opinion of a good? No, it's the designer of heaven and earth's opinion that he is going to judge. He rules this thing. He didn't just make it. He has caused his wonderful works to be remembered. This is sort of a, a this, as a psalm, sort of I read through it this morning, sort of a a jolt to the system on a lot of different points. It's just saying, how do you, your your mind should be a little bit more filled with the Lord than it is, and. We have ways of setting him aside and make him a category. And he has different axes on which he is approaching us his creation, his righteousness, his height. And then over time, he's remembered, he caused his wonderful works to be remembered. There's a couple of things that just sprang to mind immediately. I don't know if you've ever read any other religious works of other religions, but this is one of the tidiest documents that God says, okay, I will start with, oh, I know, when I made it all. And then I'll just carry it through to my salvation of the the wicked world that uh, came of it. I'll tell them all sorts of stories about how I proceeded down through the centuries. His wonderful works are remembered. I know about the Exodus from Egypt because I was told it by someone God told it to. Somebody was there. works and all. We got all the heroes of our faith. We got David. And, and what's, what, why did he tell me about Bathsheba? We never would have known. We could have just thought he was a great guy. But he wasn't a great guy. He has caused his wonderful works to be remembered. So not only, I mean, just in the big scope, the macrocosm of all of things that have been, God has said, I'm going to tell you. That's a a very just God. He said, I want you to be worshiping me. I kind of need to have you live outside yourself in time. That where we're potentially going in the prophecies and where you've been in the histories is broader than you. So you get a sense that this God is the God of all. And he also gave you a memory of everything you did. And if you look back, you remember those embarrassing moments? Those things you did you never want anyone to know about? And even when you think about it by yourself, your wince or you blush or whatever it is, all these things, God's wonderful works, your foolish works, the juxtaposition between them because in that juxtaposition the Lord is gracious and merciful. I mean the story of history and God's work is filled with the story of our stupidity. But also another aspect of God comes to the front, his mercy comes to the front because we sin. He provides food for those who fear him. He is ever most mindful of his covenant. Now, I'm not a health and wealth sort of person who says, say God promised a good meal for everybody every time, even if it's just rice, you're going to get a meal every time. All you have to do is pray. The covenant, the covenant is going to provide. Well, he provides food for those who fear him. Because remember, we cheated to make ourselves part of the upright, because I thought, well, the church is right, the expression of the upright. Well, we've got a membership list that you can join. Well, we don't. Here, you can't join. But if we did, people could then say, well, I joined the church. Well, if you really want to be a member, you could join the choir. We have ways of conveying to ourselves that we're part of the covenant. And when we're done with it, it has nothing to do with whether we fear him. He feeds those who fear him. It's a practical deal. It's not a metaphor for something. It's feeding. My parents consistently prayed in food for us because we didn't have any money and we didn't have any food. And we would pray and the doorbell would ring and there would be someone with food. Not a magical person. It was like an angel or anything. It was somebody just said, I thought I was supposed to bring you food. And I loved one family, the Franciscos. Um, what's his name? Our lead of Francisco, I think. Um, they would bring food and they would bring scooter pies. Anyone know scooter pies? The marshmallow filled, two wafers, about the size of a, I don't know, a cow pie. <laughs> filled with marshmallow cream, covered in chocolate. Everything your mother in these this, this dark age would allow you to eat. He provided food to those who feared him. Who remembered to keep their side of the deal. This covenant isn't God's covenant to you. God's promise to you. Every, God's going to fulfill His promise no matter what kind of rat bastard you become, because it's a promise that He sticks to His promises. And he sticks to His promises with those who stick to the promise. You might want to check the fine print on the deal you struck with God, except see if you kept any exemptions. He said, "Yeah, I'm going to be I'm going to be pretty regular at church. I'm not a big fan of saying going to church is a." is one of the rules. I just know people who love the Lord and love each other go to church. You don't say, well, I'll be church, you know, three quarters of the time. And, you know, if it's a good argument with a non-Christian about something like um, end times, I'll be in it. But otherwise, I, I, I'm withholding. Do you fear God? Don't expect him to be sending you scooter pies. You get nothing because you held back in the deal. You struck a covenant with God that said, I will give you thanks in a restaurant once in a while. Not because I'm actually thankful for the food in that restaurant, but because that's a testimony. If you want these kind of practical, I think God is very practically active in your life, very practically ready. Leslie and I have experienced wonderful wonderful provision from the Lord. He goes before us. We just have to make sure that the covenant we have with him is a covenant he would sign and we look at our signature and we make sure that we know that we promise to worship him. He has shown his people the power of his works. In giving them the heritage of nation. There's a certain practicality of daily food. Give us this day our daily bread. But also God gives his people a slice of the great things. I'm not talking about the great things of, of, of wealth or that sort of thing, but the heritage of the nations, there are, you look back through history and look at great Christians who did great things in science and art, and, and there are people who claim to be Christians who all did great things, and they weren't very nice people. But Christians are not left off the field. They're not off retiring to some monastic place where at least they get, you know, some bread and water during the day, and God has made sure they get fed. And we don't just get fed. The power of his works is shown in giving us the heritage of the nations. Some of their hard work, as it says, only to give, he takes away from those that have, only to give to the one he honors. Verse 7, The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. Have you ever stopped? And once you start studying the greatness of God's works, greater are the works of the Lord, studied by all who have pleasure in them, once you start realizing it, you might even become a scientist. Because you have to depend on who and what that creation is like. There would be no science if there was no pattern. There'd be no predictability if there was no pattern. I couldn't make any projection about what might be if I combined these chemicals if there was no pattern. The works of his hands are faithful and just. From front to back and top to bottom, he makes sense. Now, some of you have read Terry Pratchett. Discworld does not make sense in any way on any and it's funny for that reason but the real world make, you know what happens when you realize the world you're living in someday is not making sense you go I'm asleep aren't I I'm dreaming aren't I and yes lo and behold so you are that's how you know it's an illusion the rules of the world don't work Mirrors don't reflect. Guns don't fire because the mechanism doesn't work in a dream. God's works are faithful and just, and His. This is what this is basically what's called like a natural theology. You see the way the world is, and you go, the God who made it must have been an agent behind that, both logical and wise, benevolent. And his ways are just. It gets what you deserve. So falling off the cliff is what you deserve when you knew, when you fell off the couch when you were three and bonked your head and you went, hmm, 32 feet per second, squared. That's going to hurt if it's a longer... And then you jump off a cliff later on with, you know, a, What do they call Squirrel suit. You know, it doesn't work. And then you... Find out how foolish you were. Because God is faithful and just. The gravity is always working at 32 feet per second squared. His precepts, all his precepts, are trustworthy. We are discovering a God who is this way. We've studied his greatness. If we study his greatness and your knees are starting to shake because you know you're in the presence of an agent... Not just a person in the story you call your religion, but the presence of an agent active to this end. So he doesn't just make everything work and all these pews are sitting precisely on their and the weight and the bearing loads and the shim that, that uh, Jeffrey put under the legs and the, uh, the reason this building stands up and all of those things are part of God's designs. And when he says... And I don't want you... So he says in Thessalonians, I was looking at that passage this morning, this is the will of God for you, that you abstain from immorality. His precepts are trustworthy. People who try to do it the other way, they didn't design the system. One, one thing, that, just as a side thought, I didn't think of this earlier until Now... Um, people think that their ideas need not comport with anything but their ideas. You're you're trying to draw it into, I really want to make sense of the world according to me, according to my best lights. When you come up with a view that is in service to what you want, whatever that is, I want to warn you, the real universe remains. Okay? It didn't suddenly get blotted out by my imaginative, I know, I'll make it okay to live with my girlfriend. There won't be any problems. Guess what? I don't care how many drugs I take. And that's going to sound good and it's going to work for a while and and then she's going to want to be an honest woman and bear children with a last name. And just because you're a bastard doesn't mean you have to make kids that are bastards. Oh, because the real world still exists. The, the universe, something you've heard here before, a reality has a way of catching up with bad doctrine. You will be slapped. It's not some postmodern; modern everyone gets to have their own truth. The real universe is trustworthy... And what you invent is going to be really how smart you are. And you're not going to be as great as God. And if you study God and you say, I'll accept the actual universe as it is. You might not like it but your likes have nothing to do with what the real universe is about. It didn't wait and said hold it folks, let's not establish ourselves as anything certain until Evan comes along and expresses his opinion about what kind of God I should be. His precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. This is tough news. We have not been doing real well in this psalm as we look at various things that we offer God. Lack of pursuit, lack of study, not measuring his honor, his majesty, his grace, his power, his precepts correctly. The right view, the view you hold of what is, is the view you'll live by. It isn't just the effect of that view. You're not just the karma result of your bad view. You're also the karma result of your bad view in the presence of that real universe. Okay? It isn't just a well, I didn't come up with a good enough plan. No. You came up with a plan different than the real. The real God, the real creation, the real nature of things. You came up with a plan that was different. It's going to be a problem. That's why it is forever. Established forever and ever. Ever. And to be performed with faithfulness. Because unless you find it and stick to it, because it's it has been established and is fixed, you have to find it and be faithful to it. With uprightness. Not You kind of got to get a place where you agree with them. You know? It's not merely, okay, I agree you're in charge, and I know you made it, and I don't like the way you made it, but I know because I'm a Christian I have to, you know, take this. An upright person is a person who, like the word godliness, you are, in a sense, taking on not just a a position about God or doing the right things, but you think like he thinks. You're upright yourself. You you mirror, you don't just do what he said against your own heart interests. My whole heart is in this, to be like God has made things, and to know what God has made. But since this has been since the creation, this faithful, trustworthy precepts established forever are needing to be performed and you look at what, how God spoke of looking at the sins of man. He destroyed the world one time. We don't know how many billions of people were alive, you know, 2300 BC. But it was a lot. And he killed them all because he looked at them and he saw every imagination of their heart it was only evil continually. It was worse than it is now. A lot worse so much worse god decided to kill everyone and only when he saw and remembered noah one guy even his family was wobbly maybe J- japheth and, and sham were they seemed to be better than ham but uh, nonetheless all of them even noah himself lying drunk in his t- tent but buck naked afterwards doesn't seem like he had a real sense of policy How does a guy get from there? I got saved. Everybody got everybody else is dead. Me and the animals, this is it. Get plowed. First thing you think of? Oh, sorry, you take me take off all my clothes. Then get plowed. Here we go. Ham, what a bad boy. No, what about dad? He's drunk. God killed everybody. This is a tough gig, man. This is But then we have to know that he's thinking in redemptive and merciful terms. If they're unresponsive, he judges. Verse 9, he sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and terrible is his name. Because that's where it hits you. You might just want to throw up at one point where you're beginning, if you were beginning to become aware of the, um, you know, who's the guy who, kind of a fantasy writer, the Elder Gods, what's that, who's that guy, who? Lovecraft, H.P. Lovecraft, Lovecraft. with his Cthulhu uh, thing and what does everybody like about that you know they got the beams out there with Cthulhu coming up out of the sea and, and, and I think South Park had Cthulhu in it at one point with Cartman being his evil genius of course we like the, the old elder gods because oh my gosh the fear almost the, the, the madness that comes on man as he encounters the elder gods that's what you run into with our god you start looking up at what you're in, and the circumstance, it's not just, oh, I showed up later, I've been here the whole time, and I am this powerful, and I'm, by the way, a little upset with you. And you start to vomit, because you are terrified. If you had any sense of where you stood in relationship to that God, with your cheap, I will say, grace, at a meal in a restaurant, like you were some great. I am Charles Spurgeon. I said grace at a meal at Denny's once. You getting to the point where it's holy and terrible is thy name? I don't think you get there just by being overwhelmed by the elder God's status of Yahweh, because it, that's just fear. That's just ripe fear and your circumstance. But all of a sudden, He secures you with His redemption. He offers himself. At the level of godness he holds, he offers himself to redeem you. At that point, the threat and the security are from the same agent. And you don't feel the need to throw up. You want to praise your God. You have, and a, and a sense of the sublime descends on you. The pleasure you take, back in verse who have had pleasure in the great works of God are because we see his judgment, his mercy. His judgment of you personally and his mercy to you personally. So when you give your testimony, you're almost going to cry because it was your judgment and your mercy. And you're going to say, holy and terrible. I don't like the word terrible, but I don't think that really is a Bible... Why well, don't if I was publishing the Bible, it wouldn't be in there. And they probably some of the Bible start to put the word awe in some sort of reference. They want to take away the the the, the battle cry of the Munros. Dread God, Glenda is a Munro. We're to dread God. Oh, he is holy and dreadful. And that is a great and glorious thing. You are facing impossible things. Much higher things. And you've got to get there. This is, and again, this is just a generic psalm that says good things about knowing Jesus and, and studying the creation and finding out about turtles. That's, that's fine, but that's not where we're at. We're, we're standing in, the, in front of the living God, Because the end result is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding, have all those who practice it, his praise endures forever. You want to come around to the place where you can say, I come together with the upright, verse 1, with my whole heart, to give thanks to God and praise him. If I want to get to a place where I can practice that, where his praise endures forever, I've got to come through this to some degree. I've got to have looked at it, studied it, measured it on all fronts, accepted the correction in my my mental frame, things that are hidden away with things I learned in public grade school and didn't know I was learning because they were just imposing it on me. I need to check things, think on different axes so I can get to the holy and terrible is his name remark and not you know, well, that's kind of medieval. If we get there, you're given a good understanding. If you practice this, says, a good understanding, have all those who practice it. And remember, I said this, I think, last week, your right view is to make your life you're not getting a right view so it can be part of the movement. You're making the right view so that God can beatify you. So you can be a faithful servant of him. And if no one agrees with you for the rest of your life, you can say, neener, neener, not my problem. I got the right view and my life is good. I benefit. I have a good understanding if I, since I have practiced the fear of the Lord. And I have a good understanding of what I belong, how I belong in it, that story. I had a, we have a, a guy who lives in the house, You Ben he has a t-shirt, it's a great t-shirt. I told him I was going to put the t-shirt in the sermon. It basically says something along the lines, your death is only the end of the story if you think you're the hero. I mean, you just could be a side character, folks. You're, you're waiting. You're, who's the hero? What's the plot? What's going on? Where do you belong? No, no one thinks of himself more highly than he ought to think. But each with sober judgment. We're looking at a world in which powers have been walking. Where Peter and I were talking a couple days ago about. Um, the degree of conceit individuals have in their sort of ghettoized mind of how big their world is, how big your company of friends are. And for none of us is it. The world doesn't even know you're here. The world is running on all the forces God made, and the history of man is nothing. We scrabbled around, made a few grooves, made a dam here, made a road there. It could shrug us off like nobody's business. It doesn't think we're here. But we um, have access to the real thing of it by having access to the God of the things in it, who made it all, who built it all, who's going to incorporate you correctly into it all. So don't think you're the hero. The story's not over when you're dead. Get to know your God. want to be praising him, not praising ourselves. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. We're grateful for everything we can know, everything we do know. Lead us in the path of knowing. Help us see your holiness and your dreadness. In your son's name we pray. Thank you for your redemption. In your son's name, amen. Amen. Who is our... uh...